Hello, Heart and Soul listeners. I'm Pastor Greg Lundstedt, and I'm so glad that I can share my series from Equipping the Saints with you. I pray that God will grow each and every one of you in Christ through this series. Well, I think if you were to ask anybody if they wanted to know what was going to happen in the future, they'd probably say yes. I think each and every one of us wants to know what might happen in the future. And sometimes we have wishful thinking, we have plans, we have things that might happen. We can kind of sort of think this might happen, but the reality is only God knows what's going to happen in the future. And for us as believers, we are blessed because although the future for this world temporally is not that good, the future for believers is wonderful. And so God has given us an understanding of what will happen to those who've trusted in Christ versus those who have rejected Christ. And God's a gracious God to convict everyone with the gospel that they might hear and respond and trust in Christ, but he's also a righteous God who will judge sin if you reject that. Now, we've been studying the book of 2 Thessalonians, and the Thessalonian church was a very young church. And the Apostle Paul has been sharing with them as they suffered deep persecution uh, what was going to happen in the future. And that future related to ultimately those who opposed the Lord and would be destroyed. Now today we're going to see what happens when the church is taken up by the Lord. And we're going to see the ultimate sign of the day of the Lord, the day of God's judgment and wrath upon the earth, when the lawless one is revealed. Turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and this whole chapter is a unit. We've already done two sermons in it, so it's hard to share it accurately and completely in one sit-down. And so today, as I go through it, there's going to be a lot of information that I've shared in the other sermons already that I'm not going to share in depth. And you might go, whoa, what's going on here? Just sit and ask God to help you understand what he wants you to understand Don't get caught up in wondering, oh, he's saying this and that. It's actually not that difficult, but there's a lot of information that can get us distracted. So just keep that in mind. There's two sermons before this out on the table there that give more detail into a lot in what I'll refer to today. But today we're going to see really the ultimate sign of the day of the Lord. Now, I've mentioned already, Paul is writing to the Thessalonians. This is the church in Thessalonica. We saw in 1 Thessalonians that they turned to God from idols. They were idol worshipers. They were pagans. And they heard the gospel, and it worked in their hearts. And they turned to God from their idolatry and their sin to be saved. And it says in chapter 1 that they turned to be saved and then to wait for Jesus, God's Son, who delivers us from the wrath to come, to serve Him and to wait. When we get saved, we get saved to serve a good God rather than the sin we've served all our lives. And so they were waiting, and yet they were going through difficulties. When you come to Jesus Christ, if someone says, hey, come to Jesus and he'll fix everything in your life. No, no, that's not true. Jesus said himself, count the cost. Count the cost. There's a cost. If you come to Christ now, you're going to have all kinds of trouble in this life. But you will have eternal life and you will not pay for your sins because Jesus paid for them. And so there are the temporal sufferings for the glories to follow. 
And so these Thessalonians, they turned to Christ. They believed in him. And we see in chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians, he had to defend himself from the false teachers who were trying to discredit him. But he praised God because they received the word, not as the word of men, but as the word of God, which performs its work in you who believe. And we saw after the apostle Paul was driven out of Thessalonica, Acts chapter 17, he was driven out by the Jews who were hostile to the gospel and hostile to Christ, that he was concerned about this new church. Where were they at in relationship to Christ? So he sent Timothy to check in on them to see how their faith was. And he got a report back that they were doing well. They were trusting the Lord and they were loving one another. True, genuine evidence of salvation. They'd been truly changed. And so the Apostle Paul wrote that first letter of Thessalonians to them in response. And he cleared up some questions for them concerning the coming of Christ and concerning the day of the Lord and how they are to sell still more in loving one another. And then, just a little bit later than that, he had to write them again. And that's what we're in right now, Second Thessalonians. This church is less than a year old in the faith. And they are being told truth that is very strong and very clear. And Paul's going to remind them today, hey, I already told you about that when I was with you for three weeks. You see, when you come to faith in Christ, you receive the Spirit of God and thus the ability to understand the Word of God. The reason why people who name the name of Christ after 30, 40 years don't seem to know the Word of God is, one, either they got sin in their lives that they're not dealing with, or they never truly came to faith, so they're still in their sins. But for true believers, we can respond and we can know the truth of God. So Paul writes this second letter to them, and he wants to encourage them. And we see that in chapter 1, that they're suffering for their faith. They're being persecuted heavily. And there were false teachers, as we'll see today, who had come and said, hey, the day of the Lord's come. You're in God's wrath and fury for sin. Well, wait a second. That doesn't make sense. We were told back in First Thessalonians that we were going to be delivered from that to be with Jesus. And then God would pour out his wrath on the earth for its sin. So Paul wants to encourage them that what they've heard is not true and encourage them with the truth that they would stand firm in that truth. And that's what this is about. But yet within this, he's going to explain something concerning the day of the Lord. That the day of the Lord, the day of God's wrath upon this world, can't come unless two things happen first. And he's going to explain what those things are. And that's what we're going to get in today. We're going to get to the main sign of that, which is the lawless one revealed, which is the beast, the Antichrist, all those same names. We're going to look at that today. But we don't look at that to get enthralled by the future of this wickedness. We look at it to see that God is going to bring an end to his temporal exaltation. He's going to bring an end to it because he's going to judge the world and those who follow and still love their sins. So with that in mind, we're going to see what's going to happen after the church is taken out and the world goes into this time. Now you might remember, we looked at this already, so I'm going to review it and I'm going to go through it fast. So you get the CDs if you need to, two CDs out there. In chapter 2, verse 1, Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and are gathering together to him that you may not be quickly shaken from your composure or disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us to the effect the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way. The Apostle Paul was an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ and God built the foundation of the church on Christ as a cornerstone and the apostles bringing forth the word of God. 
And yet at that time, there were false teachers and there were false apostles and there were false prophets bringing false messages. Nothing's different these days. There are false churches out there who twist the word to their own destruction. There are bad guys out there who lessen the word of God, who train you to lean on your own understanding and to trust in the world's ways. We're not to lean on our own understanding. We're to never fall into the trap of being entangled by the ABCs of the world. We're not to do so. The world functions one way. The world says this is the way it is. God says this is the way it is. So then, he says here in verse 1, Now we request you, brethren, with regard to a coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. He has a request. And the request is in regards to the coming of the Lord and our gathering together to him. And we saw that that's speaking of what we call the rapture. It's called the harpazo. You see, what's going to happen next for the church is Christ is going to come. First Thessalonians chapter 4. He's going to come and those who have died, their spirits will come with them and they will be raised. You can look at First Thessalonians 4. And then we who are alive and remain will be caught up in the air to be with the Lord. He's going to take us to the place that he's prepared. John chapter 14, he says, if I go, I go to prepare a place that where I am, you may be also. He says, in my father's house, there are many dwelling places. And he's going to prepare a place for us. That's in heaven, not here. And so he's coming, our gathering to him. You see, the Thessalonians were awaiting that, and we should be awaiting that too. We should be awaiting Christ coming to take us out of this terrible world. Yes, we are here right now, and we're serving the Lord, but it is a sinful, fallen, wicked world with the evil one as the God of this world. And we want the Lord to come. Come, Lord Jesus. And within that, we're waiting for that. But some false teachers had come along, and they had said, basically, guess what, Thessalonians? Your suffering is so bad, you're in the day of the Lord, which means you missed Christ's coming. You see how upsetting that is? If you're waiting for Christ to come to deliver you from this, and then this happens. And so we have this here. He says, now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him that you may not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us to the effect the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you. Let no one deceive you. Let no one shake you up. It hasn't happened. It's going to explain why certain things have to come to happen for that day to come. Certain things have to happen. You see, the reality is Christ is going to come for us and take the church, but then there's going to be, as we've talked about, that tribulation period. I talked about it last week, shared all the scriptures, seven years which begins with the Antichrist making a deal with Israel. You can look at that, Daniel. And the last portion, the Great Tribulation, last three and a half years in which the Lord Jesus spoke of. And so he says, hey, don't be shaken by these bad guys who are bringing a false message. They're bringing a false message. Let no one deceive you. We saw that word meant be wholly deceived, be completely deceived. And you know what he says here? He says, let no one deceive you, and look at verse 3, for it, the day of the Lord, we talked about that, it's the day of God's wrath on this earth. Guess what? People say, why isn't God dealing with sin? What happens here? All these people get away with all this stuff. God's patient. If he dealt with sin, he'd have to take you right now and punish you if you're not saved. And he's waiting, he's patient for you to repent. But there will be a day when he does come, Yahweh's day, the day of the Lord, and he's going to bring about his wrath upon this earth for its sin. And these Thessalonians thought they were in it. 
But Paul says, no, two things have to happen before that's there, and they haven't happened, so you're not in it. And that's what he's explaining, and that's what this passage is about. And within this passage, we learn about the day of the Lord, which we will not go through, but we learn about the future. He says, verse 3, Let no one deceive you in any way, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first. That's the first thing. And the man of lawlessness, the son of destruction, we see, is revealed here. That's what we're going to see. He says, the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. Two things. We saw it already. We've already gone through this, so I'm rushing through it. Apostasy means falling away, a defection. To apostatize means you have to have claimed to follow Jesus. You said, yes, I believe, but you really didn't believe. And things happen, and eventually you go, forget it, I don't believe. That's apostatizing. That's turning away. And in Hebrews chapter 5 and 6, we see that it is impossible for those who fall away to be renewed to repentance because they've already heard the truth. There's nothing else that can save them. Only Christ can save them. And so we have the first thing. This apostasy must come. Now, we see apostasy in little bits all right now. People who name the name of Christ but turn away. They never really truly were saved. They've apostatized. But here he talks about the apostasy in the big sense. The wholesale turning of those who name Christ who really aren't saved away from Christ. This day isn't going to come until they've turned. Until the apostasy has come. And then he says, the man of lawlessness is revealed. You won't be in the day of the Lord, and you can't because the Lord's going to take you. But if it was, hypothetically, the man of lawlessness would have had to have been revealed. And he says, the son of destruction. We saw this. Lawlessness speaks of sin. First John chapter 3, verse 4. This is the man of sin. It's a man being revealed. It's a human being. A created being. He's also called the son of destruction. In Scripture, when you hear son of something, it means there's a relationship to what the of is. Son of something, right? Son of destruction. The word destruction means utter waste. It's translated perdition. It's only they're used one other time of Judas. Judas was the tool of Satan to betray Jesus. And he was in the same light, this man who will come, is the same thing, the son of destruction. It shows his spiritual origin. Jesus told the Pharisees and the Jews who didn't believe in him, you are of your father the devil, and you want to do the will of your father. Get your spiritual heritage. You see, we were all of Satan without even understanding it when we were born. We're all of sin. But when we trust in Christ, we're delivered from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. And so here we have this Man of utter ruin, the son of utter ruin, destruction. Now, we went through a bunch of passages last time, and again, I'm not going to review them because there's not enough time, but this is the same person the Lord Jesus spoke of in Matthew 24:15, the abomination of desolation, which he referred to the book of Daniel, spoken of by Daniel the prophet. The term abomination means detestable thing. He is the detestable thing that causes destruction. That's what this man is, the Antichrist. We saw in Daniel chapter 9 that the abomination of desolation, and that's the same thing, Antichrist, beast, the son of destruction, the man of lawlessness, same guy. Same guy. It's a man. We saw in Daniel chapter 9 that he would make a firm covenant with Israel in the last week of the 70 weeks of years. 
which would begin that seven-year tribulation. That's why we call it a seven-year tribulation. When we're taken away, the church, whoever didn't come to Christ, goes into this seven-year tribulation where the first three and a half years, this man has made a deal with Israel to let them sacrifice and do their thing. But yet there's all kinds of wars and rumors of wars and all kinds of stuff going on. But in the middle of that seven years, as we're going to see today, Satan gives him all his power. We'll see that. And he now is empowered by his power and authority. He is the Antichrist, and he has full reign for three and a half years. And the world follows him to their own destruction, as we will see today. God's going to allow the world to get what it wants, and then he's going to destroy it because they have rejected Christ. They they did not have a love of the truth so as to be saved, but they loved their sin instead. That's what we're going to see. We see this Antichrist is also spoken of in a sense of a leader of a kingdom in Daniel chapter 2. Daniel shares with Nebuchadnezzar in his vision in Daniel 2, the world superpower of the time, that him, including him, and three more kingdoms to come. These are these four future kingdoms. We see in Daniel chapter 7 in Daniel's vision of the four beasts, which helps us understand these kingdoms and their relationship to the Antichrist in the fourth. We see this abomination of desolation as the man who will be the leader of this final kingdom, and he's going to take over those, be in charge of those ten kingdoms and pull three out, and we see that in Daniel. Daniel 7.25, and he will speak against the Most High and wear down the saints of the Highest One, and he will intend to make alterations in times and law, and they will be given into his hand for time, times, and a half a time. Pretty scary stuff. That last three and a half years, Satan's going to have his way and his man's going to be completely in control. But there's something that restrains that right now. And we're going to see that. And because of that restraint, you Thessalonians cannot be in this horrible time. Because there's something holding that event and that person back. So he says, let no one deceive you. For it, the day of the Lord will not come, back in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 3, and thus the apostasy comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. And notice what we saw last time. Who opposes, verse 4, and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship. At this time, you got the apostasy. you got everyone who's turned, and they don't claim to follow Jesus anymore, but they're worshiping all kinds of gods and all kinds of different things, Right? During that seven years, there are a remnant that gets saved. There's a few small remnant that gets saved. But you have this world that is ripe for this Antichrist. And so he opposes and exalts himself above all the gods of the world. And he says here, so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself to be God. In the middle of the tribulation, we're going to see this today. The Antichrist declares himself to be God. And he seeks to get worship from everyone on the earth. And we see that last three and a half years as the whole earth literally goes to hell before Christ comes, which we read about earlier, and delivers his people and destroys his enemies. So he takes his seat in the temple, displaying himself as being God. This Antichrist, this man, is an opposite. He's an antichrist. He's going to portray himself as, in a sense, the Christ. But he's not. He's not. God took on human flesh. The Lord Jesus took on human flesh. This is a man empowered by Satan, a counterfeit, very fitting for the end and judgment of this world who has rejected Christ. So he takes his place in this temple, displaying himself to be God, and that's when God's judgment gets poured on full. And you can read Revelation. It gets poured on full on this earth. 
and they were unwilling to repent. Keep reading in there. God's judgment got hotter and hotter and hotter and worse and worse and worse. They still wouldn't repent. And then notice what Paul says in verse 5 of 2 Thessalonians 2. Do you not remember while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? This is an amazing statement. Paul came to Thessalonica, and he was there three weeks, shared the gospel, they got saved, and during that three weeks, he's sharing this. He's sharing the truth about Christ and the future and what's going to happen. And they were eagerly awaiting Christ, and they believed it. He says, don't you remember? I already told you this stuff, guys. Don't get taken captive by those guys with the false letters and the dumb stuff. Don't, for us, don't go on TV and watch those prophecy shows and all that junk on TBN. Read the Bible and examine it with scripture. So he says, basically, don't you remember I told you? Don't so quickly get shaken up. Don't be frightened in the midst of all your persecution. You're suffering greatly. The day of the Lord can't come unless these things happen. But stand firm, verse 15, as we're going to see, in Christ, and hold firm to the truth that you have already learned. So we come to our passage. Long introduction, but needed. Come to our passage, verse 6. And you know what restrains him now, so that in his time he may be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring an end by the appearance of his coming. That is, whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power, signs, and false wonders, with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth, so as to be saved. You came here today, this is a warning as we read through this. And for this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence that they might believe what is false, in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth, but took pleasure in wickedness. God gives them a chance to believe, but when you reject, he allows you to be deceived. So then, notice, first of all, the Holy Spirit's restraint, I believe, will be removed when the church is raptured, taken up, that the lawless man will be revealed. That has to happen. That's why it hasn't happened yet. That's why the Antichrist hasn't been revealed yet. There's a restraining influence on the wickedness that would come forth through this man. Verse 6, and you know what restrains him now. He's in Thessalonians, you're less than a year old in the faith, and you know this already. You already know this. There's some believers who've been in the faith for years and they couldn't tell you what this is. In the end of 1 Thessalonians, it says, Read that Saul the brethren. We should know the Word of God. 